I believe if you don't have that product market fit yet, you need to stay very lean, lean, lean. You can do things with super small teams. If you build your team too big, too fast, it's overhead and you're burning money, which is not the right moment. Starting a company is easy. Selling your company, that's a different story. In the Big Exit Show by Peak, we lift the curtain of secrecy around selling businesses by speaking to ambitious and successful founders who have been on this roller coaster before. Our hosts, venture capital investor Jan von Mill and business journalist Remy Hieling. Well, Johan, a very interesting episode we have for our listeners. A very Indeed. technical founder. Yeah. Which I love, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, and especially which I love because he, he invented a technology which was really no, not known in the market at that time. And I know, I think a lot of founders know the problem that they have a very advanced technology, but it's really hard to convince not only clients, but also your staff, but also investors about, let's say, the proof of this technology. Yeah, and you know it for yourself because they came to you years and years ago. You it were did. like, I have no idea what they're talking about. I have no clue. <laughs> and, that happens, and that happens very often and with me. we still don't have a clue. No, that's not true. No. Uh, he sold his company to, to a very big Silicon Valley giant. They valued over $1.7 billion in the latest round, Circle CI. Uh, also a very technical uh, product. What do you think is most interesting for our listeners in this episode? I think it's uh, is that the founder in this case also knew the company that he was selling to. And he met them at a trade fair a few years ago and he already uh, knew them. And when they reached out, he already had a, let's say, direct line with a guy high within that organization. So it was, let's say, easier on that end to do the sale, right? And I think that if you are a founder and you want to sell your company, it's always hard to find the right contact person, but also the right buyer. And I think this one proves it again that as a founder, you should always stay in close contact with potential buyers to see what's, uh, what the opportunity is there. Well, and your team made a very interesting valuation of, <laughs> of the deal. Yeah. So uh, it's an exciting episode. Indeed let's, it is. Let's take a listen. So Olaf, welcome to the show. Thank you. What's the heroic story behind FAMP? Okay, uh, the heroic story is that we uh, started seven years ago with a great idea, built an amazing team, and then got acquired by one of the Silicon Valley unicorns. What a story. And now, I mean, we met, I think, uh, five or six years ago. Yeah. What is the real story behind FAMP? The real story is somewhat alike, but uh, the struggle was real <laughs> and the struggle is always real. I mean, uh, I think one of the ideas that we had and have were still very cutting edge. Mm -hmm. And so it was like an uphill battle to kind of sell the idea to companies that actually want to pay for it. Besides the companies that have an innovation department and said like, okay, let's, let's spend some money and see how it turns out. Mm -hmm. uh, really getting the traction in the organizations that, that have a certain scale. That's tricky because it's something new and somebody has to start with it. Mm. So I think that was, that was the, the real struggle that we had. Yeah. Of course, you always have the same things with runway, burn rate, people in your team that, that don't fit, uh, people leaving, uh, the war for talents in Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't think that's, that's really uh, different from, from other startups. <laughs> no. Because I recall indeed from the from the first meeting, which uh, what we had is uh, indeed I think six years ago, right? Uh, I recall you sitting in an office uh, near the Newmarkt, yeah, about uh, containers, sniffer technology, etc. Perhaps it's good for the for the <laughs> listeners to let's say to explain a little bit what FAMP did, yeah, still doing. Sorry, yeah. So we basically automate releases, mm -hmm. and it was very much built around the idea of container technology, which was kind of started with Docker. Where's Docker now? Oh, it's, still, it's still alive, but it, I think it went through a few interesting stages. But Docker came along with, with container technology and I was compared with, it's a zip file for uh, services or SaaS uh, applications. And it's very easy to kind of spin them up and scale them. And then the next thing is that inside these containers are typically microservices, mm -hmm. which was also the thing that kind of happened seven, eight years ago. And what's interesting is that this allows you to scale very dynamically, but also to iterate very quickly. Mm -hmm. And if you can iterate very quickly, it becomes kind of a challenge. When to scale, based on what? 
if we release a new version, how do we make sure that this new version of this microservice doesn't affect another microservice? And basically, FAMP is about managing this entire process, which we call continuous delivery. Yeah. Yeah, so if I look at the website, it says FAMP is a cloud-native AI ops platform that provides self-service release and cost optimization capabilities. But if you're <laughs> if you're at a bingo, <laughs> if you're at a party with friends and family yeah. who asked, what do you do? How would you explain it in layman terms? Yeah, that's an interesting thing because I did an interview once. I think it was for a television show or an internet television show, and I think there were like two rolls of duct tape on the table mm-hmm. or two cups. And I basically like showed it like, okay, this is version one or A, this is version B of your service. And then first all traffic goes here. And then you want 10% of your visitors go here, maybe German visitors because they have a certain behavior. And then you can compare if the performance is right. And then you shift traffic basically over little by little. This is and also typically the th- one thing that I remember from yeah. our conversation is indeed that you could say 10% of the traffic of the, for example, the mobile users get this yeah. instance to be served. The other 90% gets that. And if it works, then you can completely yeah. shift to 90%. So yeah. it's funny that you still... Uh, yeah. And this is also the, the challenging part because if you're a front-end developer, for example, you're like, but this is something I can do with, with A-B testing tools, yeah. like experimentation. But this was all on the server side, you know, in, in the containers and the microservices backend. And typically, eight years ago, and maybe even still, mm-hmm. backend engineers are not really customer facing in their mindset. So they're like, what experiment? I just <laughs> add some code or fix it or, or improve it. And then I push it through the pipeline and then it's thrown over the wall. What do I care? So that's kind of like, you need to kind of explain why it's important for teams to work together, backend, middleware, frontend, and to, to compare and to understand if the performance is right. And how did you came up with this idea to start VAMP? Just like all great ideas, experience. <laughs> so you basically experience it yourself. And, and I think one of the things that, that a lot of entrepreneurs have, and at least I have as an, as an engineer and a nerd, I see a technology and I see another technology. And I think like, if you can combine these two things, mm-hmm. then we can actually create something that's super useful. And I still remember Tim, my co-founder at that time, he started playing around with these Docker containers mm-hmm. at zero dot something version. And then he showed me Marathon and Mesos, which was like a, a, a scaling platform for these containers. And I was like, okay, so you can kind of spin them up very quickly. And can you also do something with the traffic? And he was like, uh, why are you asking? He's like, <laughs> yeah, because if I can have version one and version two, and maybe I want to compare things. And he's like, yeah, but this is a simple load balancer. I just changed the configuration on the fly. And I'm like, okay, but that's, that's interesting. interesting. <laughs> and he's like, why? It's like, this is e-commerce. Everybody wants this, like different front ends for different service versions. Mm-hmm. You can think of thousands of, of, of solutions or, or interesting scenarios. So this is how it started. It was yeah. basically new technology coming around, new challenges popping up with the microservices, mm-hmm. and then so thinking like, okay. So, so you built an MVP pretty quickly, yeah. I guess. Yeah. So how, but how did you explain uh, it to potential customers? Yeah, we started as Magnetic, which was an e-commerce platform. That was the initial idea. And the FAMP product was the engine behind it. So the FAMP product allowed you to dynamically scale when the traffic increased and started in A-B testing, different things. But the idea was that we want to compete with ATG or Hybris or Intershop, those kind of e-commerce platforms. And the interesting thing is that that FAMP at some point became interesting for exactly those e-commerce platforms because they said like, yeah, we need to do something with microservices and containers. So we basically invented the headless uh, service-based e-commerce platform. That was the idea. Of course, we couldn't pull it off with three people. <laughs> At what point did you decide, well, let's ditch the <laughs> e-commerce platform and let's focus fully on, on the back-end technology? Yeah, I th- we were then in Startup Bootcamp. So we kind of uh, became part of the Startup Bootcamp Accelerator. And we did a lot of pitches with banks and, and financials and all kinds of organizations. And they were not really interested in the e-commerce platform, but they were super interested in the, the FAMP engine. They were like, okay, this thing, can we also use it for like 
our Oracle databases or, or a Java application. And we're like, if you containerize it, that might work. So then we did the pivot thing. <laughs> the pivot <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey. Was it, was it was it a hard decision? No. Okay. No, it made, made sense for me because it's like you, you focus on the, on the real problem mm. at some point. Yeah. So, you, so your first investor, if I understand correctly, was Startup Bootcamp, right? An accelerator based in… No, we had a seed investor, which is uh, Herman Heinen and, and Henley from uh, Mind Domain yeah. and Enrise. Mm -hmm. They started with Seed. Okay. So basically they said like, you guys are smart people and uh, it's a good idea. Mm -hmm. If you can pull it off, I think it's an interesting thing. And then Startup Bootcamp came along and uh, we, we became part of the accelerator. Yeah. Okay. And then you fully switched to VAMP, made, let's say, yeah. the container product, your core product. Change, I think also mm -hmm. changed at that moment your name, if yeah, I'm yeah. not… Uh, yeah, yeah, Magnetic basically became VAMP, which became we VAMP. needed to explain for <laughs> at least a year. <laughs> What, what is FAMP? What is magnetic? <laughs> I can imagine, right? Yeah. I, I personally think it's always really confusing. If you have, a, let's say, a company and a product name, I think yeah. uh, big big advice to founders is choose one, right? And yeah. then perhaps choose rebranding. But if you have two names, then, yeah, then yeah. I think it's yeah. really, uh, yeah. it's, it's not yeah, helping your story. In the end, we ditched the, the yeah, magnetic you, uh, thing. Yeah. So from the switch on, how did you get clients? Because you sell a very technical product yeah. on a user level, whereby there's all of kinds of stakeholders also involved uh, in the company. How, how did you sell it? How did you Tons of meetups. Tons of meetups. So we okay. basically spoke at, at tons of meetups. I, I still remember that we were actually at the same meetup with Sid from GitLab, mm -hmm. where he was like uh, showing off his first iterations of GitLab and wow. we were showing our uh, technology. Um, so that's uh, that's an entry, of course. Mm -hmm. Just just do the the dirty work. Yeah. Uh, standing on beer crates and, uh, and, and with five people sometimes. And also just networking. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had good networks, but it's like reaching out. Don't be afraid, just kick in the door. And I think, yeah, founder sales. Yeah. You what, need to kind of explain. What was your first major client that you were really proud of? Um, I think we started doing things for Rabobank and ING and a Spanish bank, um, not if it's Santander or something else, which was really cool. I mean, they were doing very big financial stuff. <laughs> and uh, and that, so, yeah, that, that was cool. Like, oh, we're actually kind of and, sitting here. And, and, and were they open to work with a, such a small startup at the time? Yeah, but the interesting thing with, with banks is they have an R&D kind of innovation department and they have their own budgets. So they, they kind of start doing these things with, uh, with startups to kind of investigate if it's interesting technology. Interesting enough, at some point to say, like, okay, project successful, we continue with something else. And we were like, okay, when is this productionized then? They're like, I don't know. That's not, that's not our department. <laughs> That was an interesting lesson. What is the lesson on the innovation department? Because I don't uh, work with them because they. Oh, okay. You get interesting. It's it's good money, mm -hmm. but the focus kind of is in the wrong area. You're you're kind of solving problems for the wrong kind of people. Yeah. Yeah, you see often that they have a budget, right? It's always, yeah. let's say, time and project constraint. So it's not a guarantee that you'll go to lead to production. Not right? at all. The, no, no, yeah. no, no. It's their job to kind of investigate new technologies and see yeah. if it might fit, yeah. write a report, and then... Hey, when did you launch a product-led growth model? So you made a switch to that, right? At a certain moment, I recall. Product-led growth model? Indeed. Yeah. So let the user test the product and roll it out within organization. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. We started as an open source uh, Indeed. Uh, uh, solution. Yeah. That was the original idea. Mm -hmm. um, a bit like Elastic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally open source. But the thing with open source is that it's for free and you need to get traction in, in a certain level of organizations or enterprises that, that are depending on your technology so they can start investing resources and money on it. And a lot of it was, we're using it for free and uh, it's not working. Can you fix it? And we're like, yeah, but it's open source. You can fix it yourself. No, 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 you need to fix it. And we're like, okay, you, maybe we can sell you an SLA or something, support. Mm -hmm. No, 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 we don't have budget. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that was really tricky. So at some point, I, I'm quite opinionated on open source because of this experience. I think it, it has some great benefits. Mm -hmm. But if you're starting up something, it's like 
it's like giving away drugs for free mm -hmm. and hoping that people get addicted. Mm -hmm. But but yeah, it's really tricky. And and to be honest, if people are uh, wanting to pay money for something, it's also a proof that you're solving a real problem. Yeah, it's it's you're kind of fooling yourself a little bit. Like mm -hmm. everybody's using this, yeah, because it's for free. Yeah. You know, and even the people who came for you to get uh, technical support, <laughs> they didn't want to pay at that time. No, so we switched away and we went to some hybrid mode mm -hmm. where you have like open core kind of thing where you say this is like closed source core, and then we have like things around it or the other way around, open source core and and paid for features. And then at some point, I think that was also what happening with Elastic, mm -hmm. like people just Amazon just copied the open source thing and made it into a SaaS service and started asking money for it. <laughs> so at yeah. some point we made the call like, okay, we're going to go fully SaaS mm -hmm. and kind of uh, end of life, the, the, the service, what was server the, model. What was the idea to make it open source? How did you think you To build a community, to, to build traction. Uh, and what, yeah. what, what kind of revenue model were you thinking of at that time? Um, not, nothing. No, the idea was at some point when there was enough traction, you could kind of, uh, start thinking about, about enterprise features that you could yeah. ball on top and ask money for. But first the idea was to get traction in there. Hey, and what was the first notice that you, that you were getting traction in the company, right? When was the first moment I thought I have something here it's really kicking off FAMP I think there was a lot of like positive feedback on, mm -hmm. on first it was like I'm trying to grasp what you guys are doing and then at some point they were like ah this is actually really interesting so that was this, this positive feedback where people started to, to grasp mm -hmm. what we were doing and what the idea was the problem that we we're solving uh, that from day one, I think it was really uh, resonating with, with engineers. Mm. So, um, I, yeah, for me, that was kind of the proof. And, and we started seeing downloads and, and people changing code and, and, and doing things, not at the level that we would like to see mm -hmm. because of this open source thing. But, I mean, I still remember there was a picture at some point in, on Twitter from some Japanese people working as a FAMP in their... In, on their screens and there were like there was like a community happening there mm, like cool. a local Japanese community working with this which was super cool you have some um, company names on your website as well vamp.io and I see Berkshire Hathaway yeah the company uh, yeah. founded by Warren Buffett and yeah. uh, Charlie Munger of course what's the story behind that yeah there's a, a furniture shop mart which is called the Nebraska Furniture Mart NFM there, there's, a, there's a video on YouTube where you can see Warren Buffett himself walking around. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they, they worked together for quite a long while. And they were using FAMP to power their e-commerce uh, platform. That's so interesting. Because if you look at the video, it's from a few years back. Mm -hmm. It really looks like a very old-fashioned... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 A, yeah, they have like it's bricks like and you, mortar. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. If, you, if you walk into the 1970s. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. At some point, we couldn't even reach their website because we came from European IPs and they were like You're filtering blocked. for US. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, they were using it to, to do their kind of releases uh, for their e-commerce platform. And I think at some point they... Uh, they switched over to Kubernetes because um, there was also a new technology happening. Yeah. yeah, every few years, new things pop up. The growth phase. Hey, and what kept you, especially from the moment that you gained traction, right? And you, mm -hmm. you, you noticed that in the Japanese users are, there was a using community there. Yeah. You got some clients, you got some f good feedback, etc. What kept you awake during, especially that phase I don't know when it started because you started the company seven years ago. Yeah. And this was roughly, when was it in time? Uh, I think five years or something, okay. or like two years in something. Yeah. I think the first two years you also, let's say, uh, straightened your story, right? Sharpened yeah. your story, yeah. especially yeah. to the uh, yeah. pole. And then the growth phase came. What was your biggest struggle, especially in that phase as entrepreneur? F finding and keeping good people. Already five years ago also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Because especially when you're small, mm -hmm. it's very important to get the right mix of, of, of skills in your team. And uh, so that was a, a, a challenging thing mm -hmm. because, yeah, if you're small and you're in this phase, 
you you put a lot of stress and demands on on people. I mean, as a founder, that's that's fine. I mean, you know what you're getting yeah. into. Yeah. But as a regular employee, is stress. It's not a negative stress, but mm. people feel responsible, you know, and, yeah. and and so that's important to to keep people productive and happy, also to to kind of convert people to paying customers, like mm -hmm. going from this we use it for free, we we want to do a trial, and the third thing was uh, to simplify mm. because all engineers have a tendency to make something too too complex, yeah. me included. So it was very open. In the beginning, like you could configure everything and you could integrate with everything and you needed like consultancy to set it up for weeks. So it was way too complex and, and that was really challenging because the risk that it would break or it would, would not work correctly was, was way too high and we, we needed to make it more robust by cutting away features and making it simpler. What gave you that insight? Because I see that a lot with tech founders starting their own company and mm. making products which are really fantastic, but really complex and hard to sell, but <laughs> yeah. also hard to use. What, what, what gave you that, let's say, insight to make it more... That's a little bit easier to, to sell. Uh, the, to the, the nice story is that I'm, I'm a consultant <laughs> myself and mm -hmm. I always tend to uh, transform into the end user. Mm -hmm. So I think one of my kind of USPs is that I can think as, an, as a user. So I was like, this is too, too hard. You mm -hmm. know, it needs to be simpler. We need to be able to explain it in less words and less time. On the other hand, we also had trials that basically failed. Mm -hmm. because it took too long to implement. At some point, the people transferred, you know, and, and yeah, it, with a bigger... Took the pension. <laughs> uh, not so long, but... Uh, no, but it was, it, was very, it was too risky. Yeah. We saw, I saw too much things going wrong and, and, and tricky to, to do. So this combination... And one question to double-click on the on a yeah. point what you mentioned, right? Because it's very, very hard to get people on board, especially in those early phases mm -hmm. of a company, yeah. which I fully can understand, right? Because then you have the founders, and the, they always say, and I think it's very right, the first founder really determines the success of the company, but especially yeah. also the culture of the company. Yeah. How did you do that? What are, what are your tips for, let's say, for <coughs> listeners to, to get the right people, especially in this early phase, on board? Um, I don't know. No, I, th I, the, the, I think the meetups, they, they really are an important part. I think it's go-to conference in a few weeks or days. Mm -hmm. What we actually did, we didn't have any tickets. We, uh, Tim and I, when we, we didn't have any, even have the, the company started, but we, we went in there with flyers. We basically <laughs> like hijacked the go-to conference <laughs> in the beard of Berlage. And people, who are you guys? And we're like, oh, we're just flyering. We're just, uh, people are flyering in a tech thingy. Okay. So yeah, it's basically also getting out there and, yeah. and not Mostly being shy. Yeah. yeah, because it's, it's of course very difficult for companies to find uh, good technical talent, yeah. especially when you're such a hardcore uh, IT, yeah, uh, IT-driven solution. sell it. So how did you find the right people? Did, did you, I once talked to a founder and said, yeah, the only way I can acquire talent is by telling them they're going to be millionaires one day with a stock option plan. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. We, I think uh, most of the people that we brought in uh, early days were basically people reaching out to us after a start a uh, meetup. They were basically like, this is super interesting. I want to work on this stuff. Uh, we also had a very specific tech stack, Scala, and Akka, which, was, is, which is of interest to certain people mm -hmm. because they like to work with that stack. So they reached out to us. And uh, so it's, it's, again, it's selling it, pitching it, but hey. then to the, to, to the engineers. And, yeah. and compensation-wise, did you offer them stock options? Uh, not at that time. So there was a promise or a future option to yeah. do that, but it was way too early. Yeah. Uh, it was also hard these days, right? Those days, because it wasn't yeah. really standardized, yeah. Yeah. And at a certain point, you also mm. raised uh, funding, right? You yeah. raised, I think, a two and a half million euros from yeah. Vortex and Volta, right? Yeah. Can yeah. you describe how that process went and what you what you took uh, from it? Yeah, of course, the the entire idea of an accelerator, like starting bootcamp, is to get like a bigger funding uh, in with, with Vortex or Volta Ventures. That that came from that process. Mm -hmm. So we're constantly pitching, 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 getting the funding in, which is also a little bit risky because then getting funding is almost like 
winning clients, which is the funding should allow you to get the clients. <laughs> but um, yeah, the, uh, yeah, we were basically pitching the the, the product, and um, and they uh, they understood, and they. Uh, now I, I heard this uh, anecdote the other day, and mm. someone said there was there's nothing fun about fundraising. No. <laughs> How did you experience that? Yeah, I like selling things from a technical perspective. So I also like to tell about the, the technology and what you can do with this. Um, so I'm, I'm not averse to it. I, I was not nervous or, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I believe in this thing. What was the reason that some uh, investors, you also talked to Johan, I don't know if you talked about investing in the company. Yeah, of course. What was yeah. the reason for people to say no to the deal? Most of them were like, I, I don't grasp this. This may be too technical or it's too early, early days. Yeah. Let's see what happens. Johan? Yeah, no, indeed, there was a combination of the two. It's very hard to grasp because it's indeed, it's very technical. Yeah. And, and I think Olaf is really good in explaining it. But if you don't have to, let's say, the tech understanding of the yeah. product, yeah. and especially not the need, yeah. then it's hard to, to step in. Yeah. And a few years later, I recall that you indeed raced with Vortex and Volta, then then I think that market was also way more clear, right? Yeah, yeah. So you were also really early in the market we also. We were very early. I yeah. mean, we were pre-Kubernetes. Yeah. There was no Kubernetes, no. which is now the big thing in, in this tech space. Yeah. And we were kind of on the start of that wave. Mm. And, uh, and, and I, yeah, to be honest, I think there's like three main dynamics with, with raising money, uh, VC money, but maybe Johan can correct me. Or mm. I think there's geographical location because we were doing a lot, a lot like top tier Silicon Valley also uh, talking. Uh, but they were like, yeah, you guys are in Amsterdam. <laughs> it's like so remote. Maybe it's different now. Yeah. It's different now maybe, but it's it's like remoteness. Yeah. You you cannot step into an office and mm. smell the sweat and, and, and influence things. So that's one thing. We were kind of farther away, I think, from, from that section of VCs. There is like, what's your track record? Are you ex-Google? Did you already have 10 exits, uh, yeah. you know? which we didn't. <laughs> and then the third is like traction. Yeah. It's basically yeah, how much paying customers do you have right now? Yeah, we don't. Yeah. <laughs> so these yeah. three, the, I think these are the three main parameters and uh, maybe there's gut feeling and uh, some risk. But if these three are kind of lowish, then it becomes hard to, at that stage, to, to raise money. Yeah, and, and also I'm now revising the talk that we also had. Mm. What is also needed for VCs is, is, is indeed a very clear, let's say, plan ahead, yeah. right? I yeah. think that's also what VCs really need. And also that there is some kind of process being run, right? Yeah. Because you like also some companies to prepare from your side as a founder, right? To have some 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 VCs lined up and compare yeah. it to each other. But also as a VC, we also would like to see multiple companies working on more or less the same problem, right? Because yeah, yeah. that underpins also the need for the problem. Yeah, it's a proof. Basically. Yeah, and that yeah. was also, I think, uh, given the fact that you were really early, it might be harder yeah. to, to raise money. Yeah. How did that with, uh, so you mentioned already with uh, Startup Bootcamp, they, they brought you in contact with Volta yeah. at that time. H how did that process went? Did you have multiple VCs on the table? Or, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We we're talking to, I think, uh, the list was super long. Um, but, but I mean at the, at the same moment, right? So oh, let's say, yeah. okay. No, no, no. I'm trying to recall. I don't think so. No, 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 no. What changed after you got the VC money? Uh, positively and... <laughs> no, no. It, it's, it's, I, it might, I recall it's a very positive thing because it's, it's like a proof that, that not we only, but other people also believe in, in this might become something. And Volta is a really known tech investor yeah. in Europe, right? Yeah. But, yeah. And yeah, it's just a burden off your shoulders. Like, uh, I mean, there's runway. So you, you know, you can kind of focus on what you want to produce and deliver and sell uh, for at least a certain amount of time. Because how did you fund it beforehand? Just with, with your own investment? Yeah, we had the seed funding and then started boot camp. And, but yeah, we, we did all kinds of things. Uh, we were at uh, info.nl.nl, mm -hmm. I should yeah, say. Yeah, indeed, the, the, and, the office and, there. Where we yeah, but, and I still remember what happened because we were in the offices from Startup Bootcamp. They were in the old Photophone building. Mm -hmm. And I, I think within one week, we were all being expelled there. <laughs> so we had to find other office space. And uh, Tim was like, no, it's not going to work. And I just called around and, and then... Um, Info.nl said, yeah, we have a few seats left on, in the attic and uh, you can use it for free. And Tim was like, I don't believe this. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's happening. Just, and so we went there, you know, so it's all, yeah, 
all kinds like you, you just reach out and and people are willing to help out they, they yeah. nobody in my experience people don't want you to fail they want no. to help out they want to help out yeah if you share indeed yeah yeah but i think that's also one of your qualities right you're a very likable charismatic person Thank you. And that, <laughs> no and that and that helps because i think if you are let's say our real uh, only introverts the, the, in, the, the real introvert right not communicating that's really really hard to also to convince people and let them help you right but i yeah. think that's a big quality that you have yeah, yeah or if you maybe overselling yourself all the time indeed yeah, 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 and of course, there's always a little bit of of overselling, but that's that's the confidence that you need to have to that you feel that this might work in in some way. So, um, how did we end up with this? Uh, <laughs> no, especially about the funding it. process. So you mentioned oh, yeah. you had enough money, you had enough r- a runway. There was a lot of burden from your shoulders, yeah, and you from that moment on could could focus what's important. What's what's the biggest shift that you made when when especially when that money came aboard, especially uh, in a, the strategy in of the company. People. Bring yeah. in more people. Okay. Yeah. And also start spending a little bit more on cloud resources, you know, mm-hmm. be, being a little bit more flexible in, uh, okay, we can spend a little more, more compute. Okay. Um, because, at the, yeah, we're Dutch. Yeah. And I think Dutch are very prudent with their money, can be very prudent can with be. their money. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of very tight with, uh, because we, we knew, like, we need to close this funding, otherwise... What was the runway that you had with the funding <coughs> at that moment? The two and a half million 18, you got from... 18, 20 months, 18, something. 20 months, yeah. yeah. Because I, I believe if you don't have that traction, mm-hmm. product market fit yet, mm-hmm. you need to stay very lean, lean, lean. Yeah, uh, the, re- the length of the runway. You can do things with, with super small teams. Actually, if you build your team too, too big, too fast... It's overhead and it's overhead and yeah. you're, you're burning money, which is not the right moment. And it slows down your development of your company, right? Definitely. Uh, what, yeah. what was the idea? So you had like one and a half to two years of runway then. Uh, yeah. Did you think you were going to raise another series after that? Yeah. Yeah, because the, the technology that we're building is international kind of s- enterprise scale. It's not for small... You can use it for small uh, startups, but we were really focusing on um, the bigger uh, bigger companies. And we were competing on an international uh, landscape. So it was very clear to me, at least from day one, that this was an either you compete internationally or you're gone. The exit. So at a certain moment, you realized I have or are want to sell the company. Can, can you describe, especially on a personal level, because mm-hmm. it's the decision that you as, as, a, as a founding team also take, what happened there? What Together, reason? of course, with the investors and my co-founders. Yeah, and, and you had a CEO also yeah, at yeah. a certain moment hired. Yeah. Perhaps we can yeah. take Nico. a little bit step. Uh, yeah, Nico, you hired a CEO. Yeah. At, at what moment was he? Came, did he came on board? I think sometime after we raised our first funding because um, I started out as kind of a CEO role because mm-hmm. my co-founder Tim, super technical, he was the CTO. Then he left mm-hmm. to start his own company, Checkly, which is actually doing really well and uh, doing super cool stuff. Put him on the hit list. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I transferred to CTO. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. I'm not a person that's really the f- processes and, and financials. So uh, Frank uh, from Volta, he was like, uh, we need to bring in a CEO to help you out with these things so you can focus on the technical and product thing. So uh, that's, that's, and Nico was, I think in a meeting that we did, a, again, a demonstration, a demo, and he was, I think, working at uh, Liberty Global at the time. Mm-hmm. And he totally understood the problem. He was like, yeah, this is, this is super cool. This, I, gr- I, I get this. So he came and then uh, I think he was also in their network. And, uh, because that point, is, because we also see that, right? That hire a CEO, that's all, there's a saying what a lot of founders and especially VCs use, is you don't hire a CEO. A CEO will grow into that function, right? Yeah. That's normally what you do. You select one of your teammates and let him or her grow into, yeah. into the job. But in this case, you hired an external CEO. Yeah. Right? yeah. And what was the main reason for you to do that from your end? Uh, because that way I could focus on, on technology and product. Yeah. And, and it's technical sales, eh? what, what mm-hmm. FAM basically needs to do and, and GitLab. <laughs> so it's, it's very technical sales. So you cannot 
bullshit people around because they will feel it immediately. So you need to have a technical background. You, you can't just hire a business developer. <laughs> no, no. So uh, somebody needed to take care of, of the revenue streams and then all the, all the HR stuff and then the money and the subsidies that are out there. And uh, Nico is very well first in that, in that uh, area. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and in 2019, you, you raised uh, the funding round. In 2021, you were, there was an announcement of, your, of, your, of the sale. Yeah. Can you describe the process, how that went indeed? Yeah, so, um, yeah, like I said, we did a lot of presentations and demonstrations and, and talks. Uh, mm -hmm. So one of the talks that we did was at Velocity O'Reilly Conference in Berlin. Mm -hmm. And I think I talked for five minutes with, with a guy that came up to our stand. This guy was Rob Zuber, the CTO of CircleCI, mm -hmm. which was super cool. And he was like, oh, I like what you guys are doing because it reminds me of a technology that I was interested in. And this entire team disbanded and went to Slack. And they basically went off the radar. Mm -hmm. I think it was called Turbine.io or something. They did kind of like the same things. And... Um, so we had a nice little chat, super friendly guy, and uh, he took the T-shirt, the fam T-shirt home, and uh, never hear of him again. Mm -hmm. Two years later, I think we, we did get at some point inbound interest from BizDev, business development, mm -hmm. from all kinds of analytics organizations. Uh, so there was always this talking and, and feeling, you know, feeling around. Is this, might this be an interesting match? And I'm not sure if this is the case, but my hunch was that at some point this market became a thing. It became a market where mm -hmm. we first like were really early adopters. Mm -hmm. At some point, like competing products started happening. Harness, for example, is a big one. And people kind of became aware. And so we, we got a lot more in, incoming interest for not acquisitions, but more like could we partner, technological mm -hmm. partnerships. So you were not being approached by corporate development, but more by business development, right? So yeah. more on the business side. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and it started really like, can we do some technical integration together? Yeah. You know, but by the questioning, you could kind of feel what is your revenue and mm -hmm. what kind of customer <laughs> list do you have? And, yeah. You and know, you kind of feel what what's. And when did you talk with your co-founders, with the team, about you know the future of the company? Yeah. So there are basically two ways. In my mind, you either grow autonomously, so that means that you need to have this this certain traction, and you see this product market fit happening, and all of a sudden it kind of explodes, and you need a rocket fuel, and mm -hmm. and you can kind of pick and choose your your VCs and and get get the right amount of funding, which what still wasn't happening because, um, like I said, Amsterdam, small, relatively small team. And we started seeing this competing uh, industry growing faster and faster. Mm -hmm. So I was like, either we get a sizable amount of funding mm -hmm. right now, so we can kind of grow very quickly. Uh, but it's tricky. This window of opportunity is, is, is not very big. And because of our local uh, Amsterdam geo, it was not very evident that we could pull that off. So we talked about it, and um, but it was, I think, because we're talking about a really a sizable amount. Because like harness was a, all of a sudden we're like two hundred, three hundred people mm -hmm. big. So and, and we were fifteen. <laughs> so yeah, how do you kind of close that gap? And then the other thing is to become part of a bigger ecosystem, and I, and I, that was also the idea from day one. Like we can integrate with other technologies because we're part of this. CI, CD, release, build, test, deploy, storyline. So we might be able to kind of integrate and, and, and with a product. Because for the people who don't know, uh, you were acquired, of course, by Circle CI. They yeah. raised uh, in 2021, the same time when yeah. you were acquired by them, they raised 100 million at yeah. a 1.7 billion valuation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But for the non-technical people listening, what is Circle CI? <laughs> Circle CI is, is basically, I think they're, they're one of the initiators and innovators of the continuous integration space. So uh, there's Jenkins, which is a very famous and very old integration. But it's like, if you hear developers talk about, uh, I broke the build, uh, the dashboard is green or red, that's what Circle CI does. So it, it automatically tests and builds your source code. And if it's green, then it pushes it through a pipeline towards some server. 
if it's red, it uh, raises some kind of flag, and uh, that's what they do. At a certain moment, you realize I either have to be part of some uh, bigger company or I have to raise money. Yeah. You raised in 2019, right? Yeah. And then you had an 18-month runway. Yeah. So where were you in time also in, in terms of runway and what were, let's say, the other options? To, uh, sorry, how, how did you take yeah. that process further? Yeah. So we were still uh, good runway-wise because we were also having some uh, VBSO. Uh, the subsidy for yeah, your... Yeah, for your because we were doing the, the AI ops thing yeah. uh, because a lot of machine learning uh, in the product. So there was no stress runway-wise, mm -hmm. but I had the feeling like if we cannot raise this amount of money mm -hmm. with the right metrics underneath an integration is is basically the way to to go and then uh like i said there was like an incoming interest in then circle ci uh, not rob in this case but his colleague mm -hmm. from uh, business development uh ah, okay this. so circle ci reached out to you the business yeah. development guy and at a certain moment you felt you know there's interest for for let's say acquiring vamp Yeah, they went really quickly, okay. basically. Yeah, so it was first like, can we do some integration? We have Marketplace, and it's interesting what you <laughs> people are doing. It's like, I actually spoke to your colleague, and he the was like... The one who took the t-shirt, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he was like, oh, really? So the next call was basically with the two of them, mm -hmm. and he's uh, like, Rob's the CTO, so when the CTO jumps on the call... It might be important. That might be, <laughs> there might be some interest. And so we had really... Nice chats. There was a lot of like mutual interest, and um, basically it was super relaxed and, and very nice to to have the chat. And uh, I think even in the third call already, there was like, "Are you guys interested in maybe getting acquired?" And uh, so they went really fast. And, uh, and how do you respond then? If, yeah, uh, if, <laughs> like I always do. I said, "Of course, within the right conditions." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But that, of course, that's that's the case. That's okay. But for me, it was quite obvious um, that that uh, if we couldn't raise that that sizable amount, this was a very interesting opportunity to become part of a, of a fast-growing unicorn that was actually is in our space because we're kind of to the right, if you look to it, uh, of of what Circus AI does. Yeah. So we kind of broaden. Feature set, yeah, and and so so at that moment uh, he asked it, and you confirmed that we we are open for that against the right yeah. uh, terms. How do you, how do you then bring it, take it forward, also to your let's say investors, but also what kind of how, how did you approach it from there? Yeah, of course you you kind of evaluate all the options. Mm -hmm. Are there other interesting parties, uh, etc., uh, and interested parties? Um, what could be the valuation, what could be the, the amounts they were talking about, how serious is this. Mm -hmm. So, who, uh, who did you go to for, for advice on that? Ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, we know the market. I mean, this is our business. So, uh, but for <laughs> valuation wise, did, did, did the current investors yeah, help? Yeah, the with investors, that? Uh, they helped out. And I mean, uh, Nico has quite some business uh, skills and Excel uh, magic. Okay. Uh, so, we, we kind of could could think of what would be a realistic... Uh, and you had all the other parties, which were also potential acquirers. You already knew them and they knew you, etc. Were you also... Yeah, we we reached out. We did like... When it became more serious, when you start to become exclusive, kind mm -hmm. of, before this exclusivity, yeah. we reached out and said like, okay, we're talking to, to an organization. They mm -hmm. are really interested. We might become kind of exclusive talks. Mm -hmm. So if you want to continue, if you're actually really interested, this might be the moment to okay. kind of... Uh, did, did you get response on that? Uh, yeah, uh, like, no, it's too early or I need to talk to this yeah. or this person. So, And it's quite obvious at that time, like, okay, this is not going to happen on that time window. No, that's also, I think, one of the learnings, right, for other founders is that you should always... Because you can reach out in that process and then you have a very short timeline to talk. But I think for founders, it's always key to stay in contact with potential buyers right yeah. so if the moment's there that they already know you and you yeah. can move fast right yeah. that's uh, yeah. yeah but you need to be on the right level uh, indeed that's because the that's the, the big problem yeah. because yeah. they need to internally yes kind of yeah. negotiate and yeah, and, yeah. who uh, did the first offer uh i don't know anymore <laughs> no really <laughs> i think um, they came uh, with an offer but i'm not sure 
And the reach out, etc. Did you do that all yourself, or did somebody of the team do that, or, the, or your investors, or, or no, somebody that, you hired? That, that was me, but that was because there was this personal kind of yes relationship, and I was re responsible for the technical partnerships, and yeah. uh, so it came typically through me. Yeah. Of course, I involved Nico. Yeah, and uh, you you probably contacted the tech development also on that end, so that they they could circle it up. An organization or yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, quite fast uh, people from their side technical people uh, and from our side we started doing all these uh, assessments and uh, okay how yeah. did you do all the you did the negotiations yourself with the team with the team so with with the people from the VCs with uh, with my co-founders and uh, but you were still in lockdown I guess in yeah uh, in it was all it was all virtual it was all in <laughs> Zoom <laughs> yeah 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 what, what was it like. Yeah, I think it, yeah, it was okay. It was okay. I mean, it might be different if you're face-to-face -face in, in a physical, uh, in, in a room. But I mean, it was good. It, it went but very I, smoothly. I, but I imagine you sitting at home yeah, somewhere, yeah. somewhere was, in the attic. Yeah, I was sitting in the attic and then the children were kind of raising hell, playing <laughs> Lego. Uh, and Throwing and my wife was like, uh, dinner is ready. Uh, how long will this take? And I was like, yeah, let me finish this, wrap this up. So, but I mean, yeah, it was in the midst of uh, <laughs> Corona, so everybody was kind of <laughs> trying to, to, to to make it yeah, work. Yeah, but it, it, it was funny because it was it's very good that you have a reality check there because at some point it becomes a little bit unrealistic almost. Yeah. The, the 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 numbers that are floating by, the number of people like legal people working on it from their side, from our side, was like what? Yeah. How many people are we are involving? And then it's good to kind of stay grounded and, and have kids running around. Yeah, playing Lego with your kids. Yeah, again. yeah. Because yeah. it becomes really strange at some point yeah. if you're not used to it. And what was the timeline from the from the moment, let's say, that you said, you know, we're open to get uh, at the right terms to the exclusivity and, and when there was, let's say, a final offer on the table? Sorry. Yeah, a few months. A few months between. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Because okay. I'm not sure if, if most American companies, but the, the, we have a, a financial year that starts in... March or ends in February. Yeah. So it was kind of like, let's see if we can close the deal before yeah. that timeline. Yeah, it's also a learning that we hear from a lot of founders, right? Uh, think about the, the bookkeeping year or the fiscal yeah, year yeah. that the company is using, especially the buyer, the acquirer. Yeah. yeah. Because they, yeah, it, they it will, it's, the, it's their window. It's their window of opportunity, more or yeah, less, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was a kind of the deadline. Yeah. We, we need to kind of close it around that time. And uh, of course, there's a lot of technical uh, assessments because mm -hmm. we're a technical product, uh, integration-wise, so you need to get the right people in the room. And uh, But they went really fast and, and they're like super nice. And uh, Now, CircleCI has about 700 plus people working for them, but they're all remote. Uh, was, that, was that a benefit for you as a seller that you know your team didn't have to move to San Francisco, for example? One of the demands was actually that they would want to acquire the entire team. So uh, that, was, that was good because that, that's, that helps the, the process immensely mm -hmm. from our side. Like, because people at some point become a little bit nervous, like what's going on? Yeah. So we went open and transparent very quickly internally, like, okay, we're talking and it's very serious. And, but uh, we're going to make sure that you as team are uh, taken care of. Which, in my mind, is is one of the the founders' uh, responsibility to Indeed. make sure that your team uh, is taken care of in yeah. the right way. And, and when was it that you announced that internally? When was it, let's say, in the, in the process? Yeah, because we we started doing these technical assessments. Yeah, people so were, people and we're involved. small company, yeah. so I mean, you need the the, the people yeah, in the room. Did. So yeah. I think that was within a few weeks already. Okay, so I think we had like three or four meetings and then we already went into uh so it was like, even before you had let's say the terms uh, yeah, on yeah, paper yeah. etc yeah, oh yeah. okay technical assessment was way for terms and just to understand because from an investor point of view mm -hmm. i would say you know of course i can inform my people but you know if we cannot agree on a price then my people will be informed and we will not get a deal so yeah. i would like let's say the pricing and the terms before we do the tech dd etc yeah. What was the reason for your from your end to to do that? I think because if it's a technical integration, uh, if it doesn't fit, you know, tech stack wise, if it if it if our code would stink, or, you know, yeah. uh, there you cannot put a valuation on on anything. You couldn't even continue if it just doesn't work technically. 
Final question about this before we go to the valuation, I guess. <laughs> How did you celebrate the closing and what did you buy for yourself as a present? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, we, I think here in Capital C, we, we did champagne and cake. And uh, of course, we got all the, the goodies, the, the swag from Circle CI in. And uh, so that was nice with the entire team. And it's always a little tricky with the Corona thing. Eh? So some people are more comfortable than others. But yeah. we did that as a, as a group. Actually, we did also dinner a few weeks ago, also with the, with the VCs. Dinner. Yeah, yeah, which was late, a year later than, than year later. planned. But we went to the VR thing in the, in the Amsterdam Tower. Ah, cool. And then went out for dinner, which was super nice. And uh, I didn't buy a present for myself. Yet. Maybe a Lego uh, <laughs> for your kids. Uh, no, for myself. Okay. I actually are you a Lego uh, player? Yeah, also? no, not really. But I, I like to to build it at some point. I was okay. like, okay, do something totally different. Uh, cool, like a yeah. crane. I think it was like this <laughs> leg technique. Your own uh, crane. Like, yeah, yeah. But uh, no, I'm I'm. I mean, I still do what I do. Yeah. There's nothing really Yeah, changed. because you're still active with the company, right? Yeah. You're still also yeah. in the role. Perhaps last question from me. Can you describe what's changed for you? And uh, also working let's, with a bigger company, Circle CI, but still at the company that you founded? Yeah, so I'm, I'm not actively involved in the FAMP team because we became part of the bigger Circle CI organization and uh, we have all these teams and, and one of the teams is the release and deploy, which is where the FAMP people kind of ended up most of them, and are now mixing up with other people from the Circus CR organization. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm uh, my, my official title is a technical consultant or advisor. Mm -hmm. uh, so I work with Rob, uh, the CTO. I work with, with Tom from business development. I work with product. And I'm ki kind of like moving around and, and seeing where there's opportunities where I can add my value. And my value, like I said, is more like I can look at a... a from the user perspective and user perspective. And where does this deploy story fit in mm -hmm. in what we're already doing? Where can we improve? And then trying to figure out how I can unblock yeah. certain things, uh, which is, of course, a little bit tricky because you, you, you have a startup mindset, but you become part of a bigger organization. Mm -hmm. But there's always ways to uh, unblock uh, to unblock things. To make things faster. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Good to hear. Evaluation. Alrighty, let's talk about the exit valuation of VAMP to Circle CI. A quick primer, VAMP launched in 2013 in Amsterdam and raised a total of 3 million euros according to Crunchbase data. The last round of 2.5 million euros was led by Vortex Capital Partners in 2019. There were four previous smaller financing rounds during the six years leading to the last round. So we will presume that some moderate growth in sales and enterprise value was happening. Assuming that a dilution of the last round was 20-25%, we can make an educated guess that the company was valued approximately between 10 and 12 million euros in May 2019. The company announced the acquisition two years later on May 2021. Taking the average on the last round valuation assumption of 11 million euros and adding a moderate growth of EV of 500k per year, we'll guesstimate that the exit value of VAMP was... Wait for it. 12 million euros. All right, Olaf. Is 12 million euros higher lower or the correct amount i think the rationale uh, makes sense yeah let's keep it there <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> thanks thanks so much thank you thank you so much for listening to this episode of the big exit show by peak we hope you enjoyed today's program if so please subscribe to our show on spotify or on your podcast platform of choice if you have feedback let us know send us a message to podcast at peak.capital Thanks again for listening, and we hope you join us for the next episode. See you soon.